Well, this morning, as we prepare our hearts, we're going to spend this time preparing for us to take the Lord's Supper together. I couldn't think of a better way than for us to walk through more about the gift of Christ and how that played out than to be able to go to Hebrews chapter 9. So if you've got your words, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 11. And in the book of Hebrews, the author frequently is going back to the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He's, he's comparing and contrasting what happened before and what's happening currently at, at their time and what Christ had done in the New Covenant. And so what we want to be able to do and lay out while you're turning there is get a picture of some things that happened during the Old Covenant so that you understand what the writer's talking about. So during the Old Covenant, right, this was when the Jews, before Jesus came, this was when the Jews uh, were seeking the Lord. They were uh, trying to, to worship God before the sacrifice of Christ. And so the way it worked was God told them to build a tabernacle when they were moving from place to place, and eventually it would be the temple. But the tabernacle, this was the place where the Spirit of God would dwell among his people. His presence would dwell among his people. And so what happened is you had these, you had the outer courts, and then you had the holy place inside that tabernacle, and only the priests could go into the holy place. Nobody else was allowed in there. And then inside of that, you had the most holy place, or the holy of holies, that only the high priest could go in, and he could only go in once a year. And he would go into the most holy place, and he would offer a sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of the people over the past year. Their unintentional sins. And so what would happen, he would go in there, but this was where the place where the presence of God dwelled, so he could not enter that place lightly. If he entered without following everything the Lord had told him to do, and his heart was not um, humble before the Lord, he would immediately die in the presence of God. This was such a concern that they would tie a rope around his leg with bells on it and put him as he went into the most holy place. Because if those bells stopped, the other priests who were back there in the holy place would know that he had most likely died and they would wait and then they would pull him out by the rope, by his foot, if he had died in the presence of God. Because if one of them went in there to get him, they would have died too. The presence of God was holy and these sacrifices were made before the Lord every year, once a year, by the high priest. This was the Day of Atonement. This is how they knew it. This was called the Day of Atonement, or making reparation for their sin before the Lord. So every year this happened, year in, year out. I want to make sure we have that picture before we start reading. So let's play out beginning in verse 11 of chapter 9. It says this, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So these first few verses here, he's going to give us a picture, and then he's going to detail it out, detail some of those pictures throughout the rest of the passage. So we'll talk about a few of these things and then work it out as we go. But look at what it says first. Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here. So the people in the old covenant had a high priest, right? This was a, a human like the rest of us, that it was fallible and broken. And Jesus was human, but he was infallible, right? He was perfect. And so he came as a high priest. 
So we had the high priest that came in the old covenant, high priest that came in Jesus Christ. He went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle. Right? There was, there's a different tabernacle that he went through, and we'll talk about that as we go through the passage. It'll play it out more. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Here's the picture, right? In the old covenant, they had to sacrifice goats and calves and other animals so that the sprinkling of the blood would go on what was called the mercy seat, where the presence of God would sit. And they'd sprinkle the blood on it, and then eventually the blood would be sprinkled on all the utensils that were used in those sacrifices and in the holy place, and in the holy of holies. Right? It was a reminder of the importance of the cost of sin. We'll play that out a little bit later. But he didn't give, Jesus didn't give goats and calves. He entered the most holy place by his own blood. He was the sacrifice. He was the one that would make payment for his people. Having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. The image of this is all these ritualistic things that they did in the Old Covenant, it didn't actually make their hearts clean. It made them ceremonially, they were ceremonially unclean and it made them clean on the outside but not literally on the inside. Just, if you were to go over to Hebrews chapter 10 and, and read through that book, you'd see that it talks about the blood of goats and bulls cannot make sacrifice for sin. So what they did was a picture. It was a symbolic. Here's, here's a way to describe it. I've heard the law in the Old Covenant talked about this way, that it's like an MRI. You ever had an MRI done? Right? The MRI looks on the inside because God's primary concern is our heart. He says that from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, his concern is our heart. When Cain and Abel were, were there and they both made offerings to the Lord, it was the heart of one that the Lord honored. So from beginning to end, it was the heart. And so what the MRI does, it looks on the inside and tells the people what's going on in their heart. And these sacrifices as they came was a constant reminder of there's a problem on the inside. There's something deeper going on on the inside. And they needed this constant reminder that they needed to move toward the Lord and to trust him. So here, the image of that, if, if you're like me, when I go to the doctor, I pay attention to their directions as long as I feel like I need the help. When I feel better, I tend to stop paying attention to the directions. Right? You ever done that? I've gone to physical therapy a few times in my life. I will do those stretches as long as I'm hurting. Once I feel better, I'm good. Don't worry about it anymore. I don't need to do those stretches. I promise I would still benefit from doing those stretches now because I still feel it. So what the people needed was a constant reminder that their hearts were not in the right place before God. So these goats and bulls and, and everything that was sacrificed over time was to be a picture that before the Lord, their hearts were not right and the cost of sin was heavy and weighty. Notice what it says in verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. 
Right, talking about Christ as the unblemished. You know, when they, when they made sacrifices in the Old Covenant, the, the goats, the bulls, all those things had to have no defect. They had to be unblemished. They'd have no problems with them. The picture that it was to model or symbolically be a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus ultimately is the better, complete, perfect sacrifice. That's what he says. So we'll start digging into it now, these next few verses. Let's see what he says. For this reason... Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So for this reason, Christ is the mediator. You know what a mediator does? Right, a mediator goes between two parties that have an impassable issue. Right, when the two people have a problem together and they can't get past it, there's no way forward. They're, they keep knocking heads and there's not a way to move beyond it. Christ has become that mediator that says, I'm able to take between a perfect God and imperfect people and he's able to be the sacrifice that bridges. Because think about it, when we think about taking the communion together in the blood of Christ, it ought to be a reminder of the depth of brokenness within our souls. Our sin is heavy. And the cost is high. So for a perfect God and imperfect people, there's an impassable gap there. How do we bridge that? What does it look like? How do we, because guess what? We're going to try everything we can to try to mediate, aren't we? Well, I'll meet God halfway. I'll be better than I was. Guess what? That still doesn't meet the perfect standard of God. Well, I'll kind of surrender to the Lord. It doesn't meet the perfect standard of God. We try all these things to try to mediate on our own, and yet what we're doing every time is minimizing the cost and the gap between us and the Lord. It took Christ, the mediator. God said, I love you so much that I am going to give you the mediator on your behalf because you can't take any step forward. Most of the time in mediation, right, both of you kind of meet halfway. You try to find a negotiating point. Here's the reality with us and God. We have nothing to negotiate with. The word of God says, for the word, for the wages of sin is death. The best I can earn is death. So I can't meet God halfway. There's nothing I can do. So how do I then have right relationship with the Lord? That is through what Christ has done. When Jesus says he is the high priest, he's the mediator, he's the one that sacrificed for us. God, in his infinite goodness, mercy, grace, and kindness, said, I will do all the mediating through my son that you could never do on your own. And that every time we drink the cup and eat the bread, we are reminded of the work of God. See, sometimes we get frustrated about God being perfect. And, we, and I've heard people talk about this, you know, how could God allow this to happen and still be good? How could God do this in my life and still be good? I, I can't trust a God who would allow this hurt to happen in our lives. Every time we drink the cup and eat the bread, we are reminded of the goodness of God, that where we could not mediate anything, he sent his son to mediate everything. And the goodness of God supersedes everything we endure because he provided a way for us to be right with him. 
right? So Jesus is that mediator. And it talks about that he died as a ransom. That ransom, this is, you think of it, we think of this usually in terms of, you know, ransom for somebody else. There's someone we love who, who someone's holding and they want money for that person. And I don't know about you and me, but if it's my family, there's no amount of money that's too high. Money's just money. I'll figure out how to get it to pay the ransom. What God said is, there's no cost too high for me to ransom you. I will send my son to pay what you owe. For the wages of sin is death. So since you owe death, I will send my son to be the ransom in your place for you to be right with God. We get this picture over and over again. God has done the work. Notice, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We'll come back to that statement, but keep that in the back of your mind. Verse 16, in the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it's living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. Notice how it goes on everything. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Catch that? This reality for us, we think about it in our context, the idea that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Yeah, but God, I'm, I'm better than I once was. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Lord, but I'll offer all my money to you. I'll give everything I have to you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The cost of our sin is high. And he sent his son to pay it. So you notice what he talked there about the will, right? What's he talking about in terms of a will? That word is really covenant, but it's in terms of covenant for when someone dies. So like what we think of as a will. And you think about it, the covenant does not take effect until someone, until that person has passed away, right? That will does not go into place until they've passed away. And so the reality here is that the covenant of God through his son took place after his death. Right? It was fulfilled after his death. We can now receive what was promised. The difference in Christ is he didn't stay dead. And he's seated at the right hand of God. So that at the point where he talks about there is, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You and I, as we approach the table, have to take the time to acknowledge the depth of brokenness in our lives and the required payment of Christ. And that if we're here today or we're watching, listening, any of those things, that we have not trusted in the blood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and we're trying to do it on our own strength, there is no forgiveness of sin available to us. That is weighty and heavy and ought not to be taken lightly. So let's go on. Verse 23, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified 
with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Think about this, this idea of copy, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. In the Old Covenant, these are copies. These are pieces set up to, to remind us of what is in heaven. So think about it this way. When we lived in Fort Worth, we used to go to the zoo all the time. Fort Worth has a great zoo. Um, it, it was worth every penny to get an annual membership because when you have little toddlers that are cranky, a monkey swinging on a tree will do the trick every time. So we would go to that zoo frequently. And it's a pretty impressive zoo. They, they, they work really hard to have great exhibits to put their animals in as close as possible to what they would experience in nature. But there's a reality about it that we all know. It's still a copy. It's not the real thing, right? That, that tiger that we watch pacing back and forth Day after day, we watched that tiger run the same path and a bear would do the same thing. They were in a copy of what was meant to mimic the reality, but it was not the wild. If you could take that tiger and he would survive and you put him in the wild, he would, he would love it way more than that confined space that he was in. And so when this talks about the copies, it's a similar type thing. It was the, the tabernacle was a copy of things. It was a picture, an image of things. And, and the sacrifices were made by an imperfect person seeking to, to approach the Lord on behalf of the people in an imperfect way. So that everything was pointing forward to Christ. And look at what Christ did. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary, verse 24, that was only a copy he entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So the, in the old covenant, the high priest would enter into a man-made place before the presence of God to try to make sacrifice on behalf of the people. How much better is Jesus who goes right beyond the man-made copy and goes right to the throne of God and has made sacrifice on our behalf? He is a much better high priest than anything and anyone that could ever have come before. Notice what it says. Now to appear for us in God's presence. You know what the high priest did, right? He was trying, he was trying to mediate on behalf of the people. Well, as it calls Christ our mediator, it says he's now in the presence of God for us. Right now to appear for us in God's presence. At that moment, appearing on our behalf. You know whose authority you have as a believer in Christ? You have the authority of Christ who is at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a reason in Hebrews 4 it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. You and I, in the, whole, in the old covenant, there's no way we could have gone into the holy of holies. We would have died instantly. But because of our high priest, Jesus, who's at, in the throne room of God, seated at his right hand on our behalf, not only can we go into the Holy of Holies, but we can approach God with confidence. That is an incredible gift. And that's not figurative, that's literal. We can approach God with confidence to know that on our behalf, we have a high priest who's taking care of everything for us.
So here's a question that gets asked sometimes. Well, then if Jesus is the only one that can pay for all of it, and in the old covenant, the sacrifices were not enough, how did anybody before Jesus get saved? How did they ever become right with God? You'll notice little statements throughout uh, that talk about one of the ones that said earlier in verse 15, set them free from sins committed under the first covenant, right? Things that were done under that first covenant. So here's what Christ did that we have to be aware of. And a part of this is known in the, in the process of the Day of Atonement. When they celebrated or when they, when they went through the Day of Atonement, what would happen is once the high priest came out, the people would celebrate because he had survived going into the presence of God. And he had made sacrifice on behalf of the people. So for us, for you and me, in the Day of Atonement, when that, when that priest made the sacrifices, it's interesting. He did not make sacrifices for the year to come. You know which year he made the sacrifices for? The year that just happened. He made atonement for what had already happened. Guess what Jesus did in his sacrifice? He made atonement for what happened and what would happen. Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was not just for what happened beyond that. It was what happened before that. So that in the old covenant, you could look toward Christ and go, saving grace still came from Christ. And after he came, we look back. Before he came, they look forward to the Messiah. And all that they did was pointing to the one who would come. And their faith and hope was in the one that would come. So that all of existence, from the beginning of creation to the very end, salvation was offered at the cross of Christ, whether looking forward or looking back. And that's how they were made right with God. Not on the basis of bulls. That was an MRI to show them their heart was broken. They looked forward in hope. Now verse 25, now did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own? Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Notice the old covenant. High priest had to come year after year to make sacrifice. Jesus came once. Once for all, he was more than enough. It was a better way so that one high priest sacrificing once for the sins of those who would believe and trust in him. Get that picture? Okay. Verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. The writer of Hebrews here doesn't hold any punches, right? You and I both know the idea, we all know death is coming. It's coming. There's not one of us that are going to escape it, right? Death, just as it's appointed, wants to die. But notice what else is appointed. 
and to face judgment. Judgment is appointed just as assuredly as death. And the writer of Hebrews here wants to make it very clear. The sacrifice of Christ is enough, as he goes on to talk about there. But he wants to make it very clear that judgment is coming, that if we do not recognize the sacrifice of Christ, we do not have a high priest that can mediate for us, and the gap between us and God is still too large for us to cover, and the wages of that sin is death. And we will pay for it ourselves. Notice then how he said, so Christ was sacrificed. Since, that, since death is coming, since judgment is coming, God sent Christ. Right? We don't stop at that verse, death is coming, judgment's coming, and go, well, thanks God, appreciate that. It goes on, because death is coming, because judgment is assured, there is Christ. So that whatever is faced, is faced through the gift of Christ to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Notice that. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Think about, think about that. So we already talked about on the Day of Atonement, the priest will come out after he's offered sacrifice, and the people will breathe a sigh of relief and worship God together, believing that God has accepted their sacrifice because their high priest is still alive. You know what you and I look forward to? Our high priest is coming back. He's coming from the holy of holies, from the throne room of God to get his people and we will celebrate his return. But we don't have to wait and wonder, is our high priest coming back? Is he going to die in process? Is God going to accept the sacrifice on behalf of our sins? We know it is accepted and we know he's coming back so we live in confidence today. So that as we take the cup and the bread, and are reminded of what Jesus did. We remember the weight. We remember the sacrifice. We, we ask the Lord to mold our lives to live in gratitude for what he's done and his character and his love for us. But we also look forward in hope. Just as what Pastor Kevin talked about several weeks ago in, in the Revelation series and looking forward to the return of Christ, Every time we take the, the bread and the juice, we're not simply looking back, we're looking forward. We look back at what he's done and we look forward and hope to what he's going to do because today does not hold all of our promise the way that we want it to hold, but tomorrow does. And we will be made right with him. So as you approach that table, if you know Christ and you've trusted in Christ, this passage is simply a reminder that ought to draw us back to saying, am I fully aware and am I allowing my life to be saturated by the gift of Christ? Or am I taking it for granted? Am I living my day in, day out life the way I want to live it and not understanding that in order for me to have the grace that I have, Christ had to come. The cost of my sin was the blood of Christ. It was heavy and weighty. And so I ought to lay that down before the Lord with gratitude. So that when I face days that are difficult on this side of eternity, 
I can be reminded, I can rejoice in the Lord because of who he is. I know what is secure. We have a great high priest who knows what it's like to suffer the way that we suffer. He knows what it's like to live in our shoes. He knows what it's like to be at the throne room of God. And he is reiterated over and over again, his gift at the cross is a better way than the old way. It is the only way, even in the old way. And it is the one way for us to have security before a mighty, holy God. Praise God, we get to celebrate the bread and the cup. That each and every one of us who has trusted in Christ gets to celebrate the forgiveness of sin. That each and every one of us who's trusted in Christ gets to look forward in hope. We don't take this cup lightly. We don't take the bread lightly. We remember our great high priest who's a mediator between God and man. And praise God, he sent that mediator.